Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. This is episode 29, The Pursuit of Performance. It has been the ultimate problem with motorsports for a very long time, and that has been the pursuit of balance of performance. And I think that's the one, the word that they use now for, you know, a lot of road racing terms with IMSA and, you know, when you talk to all the, you know, the Formula One and, you know, IndyCar, all the different things, right? And what it comes down to is over the years, it has been a compromise to come up with parity in motor racing. And in the early days, when I was in the Cup Series, there was not a lot of rules for the most part. And I think that things had, you know, you were using a stock car with a body that was, you know, basically factory sheet metal, you know, on cars out of the junkyard or factory sheet metals that came as they could get their hands on it. And, you know, standard issued bumpers on the cars and you'd put a secondary air dam underneath the car. And, you know, you were running eight shock absorbers at that time. And it was relatively antiquated. And, you know, the cars, guys weren't really, you know, manipulating the cars to a great degree. They were getting them put together. So they, you know, basically looked like the car and, you know, they had maybe an overall template or a couple of templates, you know, but nothing really of magnitude really to, you know, prevent the disparity in the sport and you still had the haves and the have nots and you still had the cream rising to the top and the biggest teams with the most money ran up front and you know on the super speedways you know guys that had the most horsepower and you know the maybe the you know they may cheated some maybe the trickest little things some, they had yeah a little you know, more than some yeah a lot but those were the things that really were creating, you know, the, the guys that ran up front and the guys that got lapped. And, you know, they thought that, you know, racing was relatively exciting back then. And, you know, you still, you still had guys getting passed, running laps down, uh, and guys, you know, you know, that ran up front a lot and won a lot of races, you know, you can see by the number of races, those guys all won. And then the rest of the guys were taking a, a mere pittance of wins. And that's the way it was. When I got involved, we were, you know, hanging bodies and you were putting them together so that they just, they fit the, you know, the chassis had, you lined the, the rear end up and the front suspension and you hung the body to get the wheel wells to fit and open where the, where the tires would, you know, be taken on and off and you would make the car as smooth as you could. And, you know, guys like Jackie Johnson would, you know, use lacquer and hand rub and make them look really nice and fit pieces. And, and then you would get to Riverside when we're going to run the cup race with, a Winston West car that you basically get out there and look at and you say, I wonder why my Ford Thunderbird looks different than the Wood Brothers Ford Thunderbird. 
uh, and you know, you kind of see how things have been stretched and how things have been manipulated. And then that's how you went and came back to try and get faster was you would parasite knowledge and you would try to really figure out what they were doing and you would come back and try to emulate that. So that's how we, we learned in the beginning. And as things progressed, I think, you know, there became obviously more television. You started to see more an influx of more sponsors come in and money started to flow more. And then all of a sudden, you know, when you, you have all of that, more eyes are upon you. And now there was a reason to cheat. Now there was a reason to manipulate the rules. And it was now the, the deal where you were stimulating the minds of the crew chiefs and the people working on the cars. And there was guys, special guys out there that guys like Robert G who used to hang bodies, who was just, you know, very talented. And, you know, you guys were cheating up cars and doing things. Then you had Junior Johnson who would narrow up a car so narrow that, you know, it was incredible. And, you know, people would look at that and, and think, what? That thing looks really different. And, and old then, Junior got away with it, did oh, he? Oh, yeah. Junior got away with it. But part of the reasoning behind it was that NASCAR, when they were setting, the, when that's when they started coming up with more templates. And that's when the start of all the problems began when they started to, you know, put more and more templates on the cars and kept trying to, you know, get faster and, and cheat it up. Well, then the NASCAR would have certain teams build the car as the template. Well, they well, would, that's not quite fair. Well, that's not quite right, but that's what they did because they didn't have the wherewithal to do it. So they relied on the teams to come up with the, the baseline of the car but they knew how they could get away with other things or they built it the way they wanted it to be. Right. And that they could up, you know, manipulate it and it worked out better for them. So that and, car shouldn't be in competition. Then and that then should the, be a well, testing ground. Well, you're, you're probably right, but that's not how it works. So, you know, sometimes you'd come to the racetrack and your car didn't fit the template. And we're like, well, ours is a stock car. I mean, it is basically everything is built stock and we don't fit the rule. So our car's illegal because everybody else's is cheated up and manipulated. Well, that's the way it was. <laughs> so, you know, it was kind of an anomaly for the most part that, you know, here you are, you come with a stock production car and, you know, everybody else is cheated up and you're the one that has to make the changes, right? So that's how it all started. And I think that's that's been the constant search, you know, year after year was to, you know, manipulate the rules. And when the OEMs are involved, when you had back then, you had Pontiac and you had Oldsmobile and you had Chevrolet and Ford and then Dodge came in. And so you had all these different body styles and the, you know, at some point when they would make a rule change or a certain make came out or they would like add a window, a back window, sloping window, or they would add a front nose on the car to make it more aerodynamic. They would just make and put pieces on it to try to get an advantage at Daytona. And, you know, lots of times back then there was just so much sandbagging, you know, guys would make, they would come out with what the Ford or the Chevrolet was and they go down there and they would cry the blues. You almost had to have a full-time lobbyist because. So define sandbagging. Well, sandbagging is when you go down there and you intentionally run slow 
or you intentionally run only a corner and you back out of the gas and you only run, you know, three corners fast and the third corner you don't. So you're not really showing your full potential of the car. But then you would have your lobbyists or your people would be going to NASCAR and they would say, hey, our car is not capable of running with the Ford or the Chevrolets or the Pontiacs or the Oldsmobiles or whatever. And they were basically trying to get concessions. So there was a full time. I mean, like I said, you it was, you think you were, you know, in the, you know, up. In they would never the get away Hill. with that now, though, because you have the sim that says when you're out of the throttle, when you're on the brake. Correct. They, they have they have telemetry now. So they know when people are doing what they're doing and there's no testing. So basically they, you know, and we'll go into that later. But back then there was a lot of disparity in the body styles. You know, where the bumpers were, how much bumper they had, how much slope the back windows had, you know, how much, how flat nose the cars were. I mean, back, you know, when guys were running different cars, the, the bodies were so different that one would have a distinct advantage, you know, in the speedways. And then maybe the other one might be better on the short tracks or whatever. So you had to kind of like, you know, manipulate enough of the cars to try to, you know, be good at all the places. And that was the fight that NASCAR had. And you know, you, you wouldn't want to be them because you knew that it was a difficult task. And there was times that I remember Waddell Wilson telling a story, you know, that when 19, I think it was 1983, which was the first year that I, Jackie and I went back because we had won the late model sportsman championship in Yakima. I got a free all expense paid trip to go to Daytona. And here we are, we're there watching. I'm right down there in turn three and four. And then we went up and go in the stands to watch qualifying. And I was in awe. And and after having an opportunity to sit down and talk to Waddell about that year, that was the year that Waddell went down there with Cale Yarbrough and they had this, this black, you know, um, car. And I don't remember which make it was to be quite honest, but they only had one car there and it was wicked fast. And they were, I mean, hauling the mail and the other backup car was a show car and it was down in Daytona beach being at a show, a dealership or somewhere being as a show car. Well, Kale, I remember qualifying. Kale goes out there and, and the first lap sets, you know, a new record. He's over 200 miles an hour, right? And, uh, you know, on the he's going to be on the pole. And the second lap, he's going for the second lap, and he's faster on the second lap, and he goes off into turn three, and the thing picks up and uh, flips, gets, gets, gets up oh in the air gosh. and flips, wrecks the car. I mean, just tears it, you know, up. And Waddell talks about, you know, that they was already catching heat because they were so fast in practice that Bill France, you know, them were, were on them hard, you know, about this, you know, worried about what's going on. And they were, you know, they were being basically going to annihilate them. And then so they had to go get a, they had to go get another car, the backup car, which was like, which actually a show car. So it was actually at? It was somewhere in Daytona Beach. At a restaurant. At a restaurant, I believe, or somewhere. So they had to go get the show car bring the show car back, take the motor out of the car they wrecked, take all the special parts and pieces like that and try to make this show car into a car that could race. <laughs> and they go out and win the race. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, again, it's like, you know, Waddell tell the story. I, we'll, we'll get Waddell on here as a guest so he can go through and tell you some of the things that they went through back in those old days. You will be astounded at what went on. And But, you know, the, the France is ruled with an iron fist. They basically said yay or nay. And if you stunk up the show, they were there. And I mean, they were, they were going to be on you and they were going to like pull out the stops. They were going to take away something. They were going to do something. And that was what we would call today BOP, 
they're going to make a decision and bring down the iron fist and say, you're not running that. You're not stinking up my show. Right. So that's how it was done back in those days. And it really was a unique um, way of trying to, you know, make things, you know, close for everyone. Right. Unique, but maybe not quite fair. Not quite fair. But I think the thing that the, the thing that it was all about was it was a show for them. They were entertaining people and they rule. And the one thing that you got to understand, this was a dictatorship with Bill France and Bill France Jr. This was a dictatorship. They it was their sandbox. If you come to play, you play on their rules. And if you don't, then go away. And, you know, even that goes to the fact that when they had, you know, they, uh, they all tried, the drivers tried to pull together uh, and have a union. And they basically told them, you know, that wasn't going to happen. They brought in other cars, you know, from the Grand American Series and all this other stuff to run the first racer at Talladega and pretty much ran without them. So, you know, basically had to come crawling back. <laughs> so it's like they were not going to be, you know, um, in a position where they, they couldn't make the decisions they wanted to make. And they never were, you know, and it was interesting. Obviously, they had their favorites. They obviously had people that were the guys they, you know, they catered to and they always did. Well, that certainly is the case now. Mm -hmm. I don't. Th I think it's even more so now. And and bringing it up to present day, um, since I've been involved in racing, you can definitely see the BOP. If the, not necessarily that the same person is winning all the time, but if the race is boring, I mean, just you know, just like the uh, Phoenix race, that race was so boring up until the end because they took the. Uh, that back spoiler down so much. Yeah, they they made they made a, a change, a rule change. Took thirty percent of downforce out of the car, uh, for whatever reason they think that they were going to make the race more entertaining or more, you know, you know, capable of, of cars passing each other. That's been the age old problem, right? And it all started really at the restrictor plates. That's where when they finally well, the problem was because we were all going over, we were going, you know, what. Uh, I think it was Bill Elliott was like 213 or 212 something at day, at Talladega, right? You know, and so insurance came into play and they, when Bobby Allison got in the fence at, you know, at uh, Talladega and tore the fence down, you know, you couldn't hurt the fans. And now we're trying to take these projectiles that are running, you know, 210, 212 miles an hour and they were getting airborne and they look like a feather. When your car gets up in the air and gets off the ground, it looks like a feather in the air. And then there, you know, you're, can the racetrack contain the projectile from going into the stands and hurting somebody? And so we really couldn't do that. So that's when, you know, the choices came to come up with the restrictor plate. Well, that just created another set of problems. You know, now you're choking the motors down where you're wide open and you're just driving the thing, you're just hanging on, right? And the air plays a lot bigger factor, but then you have less horsepower. So then you were working on, you know, infinite things to try to make the motor suck air. Because if it, you got to think about back then, like, you know, I think three horsepower was like a mile an hour. So now you're on the dyno and you're searching for a half a horsepower. A horsepower that was huge that was the difference between you know being on a pole or being 10th right. right so it was all about the pursuit anytime you put confines and restrictions on uh, a situation then people work harder 
they still get more stimulated about overcoming those obstacles, right? You have to. So the competition becomes more fierce and you gain more people and more knowledge, more experience to try to basically cheat the restrictor plate. And spend more and spend more money. I mean, this was a deal where you were, you would have engines on the dyno and you would just run parts by them and then you would discard them if they didn't work. I mean, you would build these clusters that would go underneath the uh, carburetor that would funnel the air to the plenum and it would, you know, they would make mechanisms that would slide in there and do things right. And then they would run the different lengths of the actual clusters and they would make cluster after cluster after cluster, which takes time, you know, welding these aluminum things together and testing them. And then you'd throw them away. It didn't work. And then they would, they would actually put uh, deals in the actual like studs that would, you know, hold the carburetor into the manifold that would actually, would actually, you could turn them when you tighten them down, you turn them and it would suck air. It would actually bleed air into the manifold. Well, then of course the motor would make huge horsepower. And if you could do anything, you could, you know, if you could put, you know, holes in the seats of the valves, anything you could do to suck, let the motor suck air, more air, because air and, and fuel makes horsepower. So anything you could do to let that engine suck more air because you had restricted it down with a restrictor plate, it was huge. And you, you could do things that not everybody else could do on the racetrack. So that's where this constant search happened. The money was getting thrown at it, constant testing. You were just doing everything you could do to become more proficient and, uh, you know, circumvent the rules and cheating became, you know, inherently the thing that you needed to do at that time. And if you go back and listen to Jimmy Spencer on some of Dale Jr.'s downloads and things, they talk about all the cheating that was going on and, and the people that were on the take. There were guys that were doing the carburetors and inspecting the carburetors that were on the take and taking thirty thousand dollars at that race for you to for them to uh, to allow you to get through the the deal, and they were in a position to win races and ran up front because they had paid the thirty thousand dollars to this guy on the take to uh, to go, you know, run, do get a better deal for the uh, the restrictor plate race. So the restrictor plates are random, and you don't know which one you're going to get. And they're not necessarily the same. Is that correct? Well, they were supposedly all made the same. They're all stamped, you know, and they were all made either on a CNC machine or stamped, right, and die cut. And there was, you know, a certain size hole that you would have, four holes underneath the carburetor and underneath the spacer. Well, they had them all numbered and they were in a box. And then when you come through tech, they would physically, either you'd raise your carburetor up, they would pull one out of the, um, somebody would pull one out of the, uh, the deal and hand it to you, or they would put it on for you and then put your carburetor on there. And at first they let you do it. Then people started sticking little rings and things down in there as they dropped it on there and put the spacer on and drop a round, little round, uh, like eighth inch, um, donut. And then like, it could be like out of tef like out of uh, plastic or anything. And that would shoot the air, make the air go faster. So they started realizing that you could cheat it up by just dropping these two little deals in with the, um, on top of the actual restrictor plate in, in the one inch spacer. So then they started putting the deals on there, but there was rumor. Started they started doing it on there on. themselves. That way you guys couldn't do, they couldn't do it. And if they that. were just drawing out of a box. Certainly, if there was someone there on the take, they could dictate which one they were. And or, I mean, there was always rumors and thoughts that, you know, you know, that NASCAR probably had 
some restrictors that were a little bit bigger and somebody who they wanted to run up front or run and win a race or do what they needed to do got a little bit better spacer. That's just mere rumor. But the, the situation is there. And if you just took a plate and if you were the inspector or whatever, and if you just scribed, if you had a little scribing tool and you just like angled the, the hole of that restrictor plate, that thing would make power. So it didn't take much to alter the flow of air that would make horsepower. So there's all kinds of, you know, opportunities for things to happen. Not saying it did, not saying it didn't, but it did. The rumors were abundant. And to this day, you can listen to all the Dale Jr.'s downloads of people that come on there and talk about all the things that happened from this type of thing to traction control, which people won races with and got caught with. And, you know, a lot of the big time drivers with big time teams got caught with it. And so everything has been there. I mean, when Harry Gant, you know, was there when they won four in a row and there was talk of the Gleason and the special rear end deal. So there's all kinds of reasons for things that happen when they didn't happen prior, right? Nine times out of 10, there's a reason why things went a certain direction for the most part. And so interesting things as you go along. But again, as we have evolved, things, you know, that was, that was the, the restrictor play, you know, that was part of the, the deal in the early days. And then the restrictor plate thing brought on a lot of rules and, you know, restrictions and things. And that made everybody work harder. And then that's when the engineers got involved. And that's when testing and money and all the stuff started happening. And they worked on the race cars and they worked on the engines and they worked on sucking air and you name it. And there are some, I could go into other things. We'd have to get some special people on here telling what they did and how they did it. But there's some very interesting things that engine builders did that I'm aware of and I don't want to go into, but I'll let them talk about it when I bring a guest on, <laughs> but we're going to save that for a, for a better time so they can truly explain it to you. And you will be amazed at the ingenuity and the, the thought and effort. And this goes to show you how these people think, and I'm going to get some of those guys on and you're going to hear about it, but it's really it's really interesting things. And I'm going to save those for them to physically tell you. Well, that's exciting. Something come up to, to look forward to. Um, but let's take it um, back to just this, this weekend. So with you saying they did it, the balance of power to allow cars to pass, that's exactly what didn't happen. Um, kind of take us into what you stated while you're watching the race that the drivers are so busy trying to drive the car because it then becomes more challenging to drive that they're not um, so in tune to maneuvering the car, manipulating it to strategize to pass people. Well, I don't really know the exact rule change because we're obviously not, you know, privy to all the things that happened. But from what was said and what was told and what I've heard is that there was a 30% reduction in overall downforce in the car. And the biggest thing you can see visually is that the back spoiler is gone and there's a small little you know, spoiler, uh, at the, at the back of the car. And that makes it these car. And you got to understand this car, this new next gen car, in contrast to the cars before it, they, they had things cheated up. You always saw the cars crabbing before, right? They go down the racetrack crabbing. So the air was on the car and they manipulated the way the, the skew and the back ends were this car of today, this next gen car is symmetrical. It's straight. 
It's the same on all the way around. So there's no real crabbing down the racetrack. Guys try to do that. If you watch a Daytona, sometimes they crab the other way. They have certain shims and things that they're allowed to, and they'll manipulate it to the opposite way. Explain to the listeners what crab means. Crabbing means that the car is not running straight down the racetrack. If it's going through the air on the racetrack, it's not going straight. It means that the car is pointed to the left and the back of the car is pointed out to the right and the car's in yaw, what they call yaw. So it's basically crabbing going down the racetrack. So the back of the car and the back right rear spoilers out in the air. And that is going to keep the air because what you want is you want the air attached to the car the majority of the time so that when you go in the corner, it's already got the air on it and you have less like change in the car as you go in what they call a roll moment change as it goes in the corner. It doesn't like make the driver make a wheel input because it all of a sudden like the air changes on the car. If the car is going straight and then you turn it in the corner, by the time when you turn the front of the car, then all of a sudden the air automatically hits the back of the car and it makes the car do something out of kilter. And the driver senses this because you know he's very in tune to the car and he will he will make a, a change and with the wheel and that alters the the way the car goes in the corner so you don't want you want the air on the car all the time so but with this new car that's not the case plus this car has got independent front suspension front and rear and you know you've got cambers in the rears and all these different things and you know the car just does not have the downforce that it used to have right and be or be manipulated to but their their search is you know for you know they've got different manufacturers the balance performance is not as crucial so much because the cars all have a common the common roof and a common deck lid and so the cars have identity changes, right? Which they have some disparity there, which maybe is the balance of performance issues, but the body is the overall silhouette of the car, you know, is basically the same. So it's, you know, they're basically the same cars, right? They're on, and the race cars themselves are the same. Supposedly all the parts are the same. You got to run, they're all, you know, encrypted. So you can't cheat that thing up and you basically buy those parts. They know you bought them and that's what you got to run and they can check it at any time. So you're running a spec car, like an IROC car used to be. It's a spec car, but you're how you tweak all the little things that they give you is your own, your own thing. So, but what happened at Phoenix is you know, they're trying to find ways to make the racing more exciting and they've done it with stage racing. They've done it with, you know, all kinds of things to try to make it better. And then, you know, they've come up with different tire compounds and things to try to get it to where the cars can pass or they got softer tires and, you know, horsepower and tires have always been the biggest deal because when you have a lot of horsepower and a soft tire, then the tire goes away. You have tire degradation. When they, if you guys, if you ever hear them say deg, the deg of a tire or degradation, the tire is just, you know, deteriorating. And basically then the cars get hard to drive and they're hanging on and they're trying to go high. They're trying to do whatever they can do to find speed or grip. And then that's what passing starts happening, right? Who manages their tires better? The car maybe starts off and fires off really good, but then fall, falls off. And then somebody's got a long run car versus a short run car. And then late in the race, the guy that has a short run car, if there's a caution, like it seems to be happening late, if you got a short run car like this past weekend, those guys have a chance to win the race better than a guy like Harvick who had a long run car and it took him longer, more laps to get, you know, to where he could catch the lead. So those are the elements that 
change. And when you start taking away downforce, the cars are harder to drive. And, you know, depending on the amount of horsepower they have, the tire that they're using, right? And it seems like this tire, if you look at this tire, especially in the Cup Series now, they're low profile. So they really have a, they're really short to the ground. They don't have an inner liner like we used to have in the, in the past years, a tire within a tire. So now the tire is really low to the ground. The deflection's way different. It loads way different. And, you know, there's just a different technique to driving the car. And then certain things that you do in the car like we used to don't work. And then the things that you didn't work do work. So it's kind of like, you know, it's a relearning, this, you know, the set of compromises that you have to come up with the best compromise to, to have a shot to win the race. And so it really is, a deal now where NASCAR is throwing and they continue to do this and they always have, they've always come up with rule changes and they put them on and you got to go to the race and you're stuck with them. And whoever deals with the best or has the biggest, biggest resources or the biggest SIM programs or the biggest CFD modeling programs or all the things they figure it out. They have the best opportunity to go out and, and perform well. But don't you think it's happening, <clears throat> excuse me, more now randomly? Well, I think there's you no, know, okay, they've been searching. They, this has been going on for year after year after year. They're constantly searching for BOP. They're looking for a way to create balance, uh, a performance, but at the same time, they need the cars to pass one another. They don't need to run in a straight line. Which is exactly what they did. It's, it's exactly what yeah, they struggled. I mean, guys led the race and they were pretty much the way it was and they won the stage and the next guy comes back and wins the stage. And yeah, they just fell in line and it was a boring race to much the point like I fell asleep the first part of the race. I mean, <laughs> and I don't do that, you know, and it was, yeah, it was just non-eventful and until the know, end, until the end, it was very good at the end. Yes. You know, I should have just slept till right at the end and there and you woke me up, but <laughs> which is basically what I did. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, Again, you know, you know what their struggles are and you can see, you know, what they're trying to do. And it's just, it, it's just hard. And I don't, I don't envy NASCAR for what, you know, what they're, what they have ahead of them, you know, because they have a spec car, they're all the same. And these guys all have large budgets and they're all spending, you know, a lot of money and they're all really a lot of good race car drivers. But you can see, you know, like last year, Keselowski couldn't do, I mean, he couldn't hit their butt with either hand. And that, that, that organization has money and it has a lot of things and good people, but they just struggle. Now this year, look, it's flip-flop. Now they're making headway and whatever they're doing, whatever they're, they've hit on something that seems to like the car likes and Brad and Busher like, and they're getting better. So, and their speedway program, you know, I think Jimmy Fennig, you know, what used to be my crew chief there. He's the, he kind of is the head of that uh, speedway program and they run good on the speedways. And they have, you know, that's been their, their go-to deal. And so I think that, again, it's just, there's so many variables in this racing and, you know, to get off the cup subject and you start to look at road racing, BOP is something you always hear in road racing. Now, when you hear it, formula one, they make rule changes all the time. Every week, the teams can bring a new set of, of, of things that they want to implement. I mean, wings. Uh, you know, different canards or different dive plane deals or different things, you know, underpants. I mean, they, it's crazy the money they spend. They come back with all these things to try to go faster, right? And circumvent and find speed. And then, you know, 
But in IMSA, the same thing. Now you got all these LMDH cars and all the things. They're talking about BOP and GTD Pro. Now, and when you start talking about the homologation, that's basically like the same car, the same thing as a next-gen car. They're basically a stock chassis of a BMW or a, you know, a Corvette or whatever the Acura. And then they have the body, which is the deal. Well, they're all the bodies. There's so much disparity in the bodies then they're the stock cars. So what do they have to do? They got to find balance and performance. They got to make concessions because one car is better than the other. And they got to make sure that these guys can race competitively. Right? So again, they're putting on entertainment They're putting on a show and that's the age old problem. And they're going to continue to have it until we pass away. And you guys are going to hear about it after the fact, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it really is, um, I don't know. It's just something that you're going to continue to hear about and it's going to be the constant struggle. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know really how it ends, you know, because NASCAR has implemented a spec car. And anytime that you have a spec car with the talent pool and the talent and the money there, everybody's going to run competitively. Well, like you say, the cream will always rise to the top money buys speed. So organizations that have the most money, and then combined with those that have some talent, you're always going to see that. So, but hopefully there'll be a diamond in the rough every once in a while. Well, so keeps you always, us watching. you know, you always see it, right? And, you know, you see it in, in other sports, right? And especially like you started looking at like, you know, some of the, these lower series, you know, like the Trans Am series. Have you got these kids coming up? They're 14 years old. I mean, just think about it for a minute, right? Uh, old guys, right? <laughs> you, and again, you, you think about it, right? And you got a really, you know, really good team. You're a good driver. You got a lot of experience and you maybe won a championship and you won some races. And then all of a sudden the next year, here comes a 14 year old kid and he just annihilates you and just makes you look bad. <laughs> and then the next kid comes in and he might be a little older, but you now he's never driven a Trans Am race before. And he comes in and sits on a pole and annihilates the 14 year old and the other kid. And, uh, and you look at him like, where'd this guy come from? And then there's another kid, he's 14 and he's never driven and he's coming in just starting out and he finishes 10th. You just, you wonder, like you don't know from one day to the next or one race to the next, what's going to happen. And that's the intriguing part that I like is that you can see that happening, but you don't see it happen in NASCAR very much. seems no. to me like right now we're kind of in a lull as far as, new raw talent in a position that have any real excitement or phenom attached fixture to it. You just have the same group of people and there's no seats. There's no place for them to go because if somebody else has more money or, you know, the deals are all the, the charter deals are all slotted. So you got nowhere to go and you got all these guys, these kids and they're young. These are all kids and yeah. they're dying on the vine. Absolutely. They're going to, they, they got nowhere to go to the next level. Right. So, you know, they're going to have to work at every facet of the business to find a way to circumvent that deal and get a leg up and get this. So that means they got to they got to be doing Trans Am road course racing, become proficient. They got to be good outside the race car. They better be the best social media guy. They ever Especially had. if they don't you have, have anybody. to be you're going to be an influencer. I don't care. You're going to have to do something. I don't know what it's going to be, but, you know, you better figure out every facet you can do to raise money, find a way there, be proficient at every racetrack you can and have, you know, uh, a million followers. Yeah. Well, and you know how we feel about that. But, you know, it's it's a shame, too. You have um, a kid like um, 
like Ty Gibbs, you'd like to see him step out of the car and run Xfinity a few more years and get a really talented, more experienced guy into that car, that quality piece, and and see them run better, you know, so that you actually have more competition up at the top. Well, he he's a talented driver. I don't care. I, I you you look at what he's done, and he is a talented driver. The kid had did a lot of great things, obviously in quality equipment, but I think some of the things he did, you got to give him credit. You have to give him credit for what he did. And I, you know, I give, I give credit where credit's due. And he did some very difficult things. And I think proved himself that he could drive a race car. And you guys got, look at, look at Briscoe. That kid, he won, I mean, he said he had to win eight races and he won 10 or I don't know what it was, but he, but he proved himself. Well, won. Briscoe's an example though of a kid that didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. Well, that is true. He worked his way and some people believed in him and gave him a shot, but he made, he made a go and he made things happen. And then you got guys like, look at Ryan priest who came in and, you know, had some misfortune. Things didn't go the way they wanted to go. And then he, he basically, you know, whatever money he got his hands on, whatever sponsorship he had, he went and put his bet on himself and went and, you know, put those in those rides at Gibbs and whatever. And, you know, and ran up front one races and then showcased his potential in a manner in which he could like, you know, at least change the perception of himself at that point in time. And it has paid off in the long run. So, you know, that's the one thing that I, we always talked about reinventing yourself or figuring out a way. If you don't have money or you don't have the opportunities, you have to do so many different things and you have to, you know, dare to be different and you got to look for somebody to help and you got to be able to convey to them that you're, 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 you know, you're capable. And, but, you know, getting, getting back to where we were at, I think that, you know, that's the one thing that I see right now, uh, that the excitement level, you know, where we're at with NASCAR right now is I think they're trying to do something to get these guys to pass more and do more things and create the racing. That's a little more exciting than it has been. I thought we were on a very good turn there for a while. And then all of a sudden here, we seem to have kind of, in my opinion, kind of hit a little bit of a lull for some reason. And that the racing is not as, as good as it has been. Uh, but you know, again, we're only a few races in the year and, you know, we're going to some other racetracks here that hopefully will, will show, you know, signs of life, but I'm not so sure this coming weekend, you know, at Atlanta will be, uh, the best place for that to happen. Now that that place has been repaved and you're going to be in a restrictor plate race, you're going to be darn near pretty much wide open and to be a restrictor plate race. So you're going to be seeing, you know, every getting into on and off pit road and, you know, drafting there. And it's going to be, uh, I, for me, I love that aspect of racing. So I'll enjoy Atlanta, but a lot of people may not, you know, that it's a, it's a difficult race to watch that way. Uh, but for, as a driver, you know, knowing the draft and what you're going through, you can get a good sense of what's going on. And, and, uh, I love, I love that aspect. So I'll enjoy watching that race this weekend. Yeah. And, and take us up to speed on what happened with nitro last week in Enola. You had some, uh, some really great successes there too. We did. Uh, we had a good weekend there. Uh, you know, we, um, we took a brand new, it took us a long time. We got a brand new car together in a short order. It was a week. We put this car together, complete brand new car and took Thomas Annunziata there and Thomas put it on pole. It, wow. Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, he laid a lap down too. uh, the three dimensional cars were, you know, Rafa was, uh, Matos was really fast. Austin green has been doing a really nice job in that car. That's David green's, uh, son. 
And, uh, you know, David ran the cup in the Xfinity series cup series with us. And, uh, I've known David a long time. He's now an inspector with NASCAR, but, uh, you know, Austin has served his apprenticeship. He doesn't have a lot of money behind him, but he is doing an extraordinary job in the car and has been a force to be reckoned with. So I want to give him uh, kudos for, he's a nice young man. Um, you know, uh, you know, relatively soft-spoken, but just does, uh, you know, does his talking in the race car and he's driving very well up front every week. And, uh, but Thomas went out there and laid a lap on him at the end and took pole. Uh, I think Brent was third. Brent Cruz was third and I qualifying qualifying wise. Yeah. And I think, uh, Darren mock, uh, was 14th. Taylor gray was 16th. And then, uh, Brad McAllister was 21st, I believe. Uh, so, you know, we had a pretty good array of, of qualifying efforts or whatever. And in the race, um, Thomas's car wouldn't fire. We had an electrical problem. Uh, it wouldn't fire on pit road. Finally got it started, but he had to drop to the rear of the pack, which is, I've been there before. That is completely devastating. Um, and he come back to fifth. Wow. When uh, he was the fastest car on the racetrack, came back, ended up fifth. And, um, Brent Cruz, uh, obviously had moved up because, uh, in the starting position because of Thomas, uh, uh, and that he got the lead. Brent Cruz took the lead on the first lap and never surrendered it. So wow. Brent Cruz uh, in the 70 car from Nitro Motorsports uh, won the race. Uh, and I think Rafa or uh, they were second, and um, but held them off. And Darren Mock had a top 10 going, uh, was in the top 10 running, was really happy about that, and then broke an upper link in the car and uh, ended his day. Uh, Brad McAllister was running well and had a problem with the shock braking. And then Taylor Gray um, was solid all day and was in the top 10. And then late in the race, um, evidently, a uh, wheel hopped the thing, getting in the corner underneath uh, Scott Borchetta, and they got together. And we he still finished 10th, uh, but I think there was a um, a penalty. I think there was a protest from Scott Borchetta, and they put him back three spots or whatever. So he ended up 13th, but it was a top 10 effort for Taylor Gray as well, which was uh, – very, very respectable, or maybe he might have been ninth, maybe, or I can't remember. But I think it was top. I think it was tenth, and so, but he ended up thirteenth. But solid effort for him as well. And uh, so, you know, Nitro had a, a good run, you know, this weekend. So, um, you yes, know, good job, weekend. good job so, to everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody worked really hard. It's been a long road getting all those cars together and getting back to the racetrack. So, um, you know, um, you know, we'll just have to uh, we'll have to sort through things uh, and get. We got two weeks off. And then we head to Atlanta and then, uh, then the GR 86s, uh, we've already tested those at VIR. So we're getting ready to take some of the Toyota drivers and get ready to go out to Sonoma here in a few weeks. Yep. So exciting thing, uh, you know, exciting things going on. Um, a lot to be excited about. And, uh, right now we're back at the shop working on some things, but overall, um, you know, looking forward to, to continue on uh, with the Trans Am series, but, uh, you know, uh, back to, Racing, I think, and now we're just going to have to wait and see how uh, how things unfold here. Uh, some difficult racetracks for the Cup Series, but you know, balance of performance is was huge this weekend at Sebring. You know, there's a lot of changes on the balance of performance at Sebring, so uh, we'll see how all that comes out. Um, F1 will be back coming up again in a weekend, this next weekend as well. Uh, so a lot of exciting racing coming on, coming up and uh, we're looking forward to it. We're going to try to bring you some more updates on all that, but we'll continue to talk about 
you know, certain things that are going on that, uh, you know, maybe you have interest in or don't. And then we're going to start looking at possibly here in the near future, looking at trying to get a few guests uh, and start that, um, you know, that progression to that. So we can talk about some old time things that might interest you. And then some guys, maybe some up and coming young drivers uh, talking about, you know, their you know, success or their road to trying to be successful. And so give you some disparity in that as well. So a lot variety. of a variety anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, look forward to that as well. So um, uh, as far as that goes, um, again, we appreciate all the uh, input coming in and, um, you know, interaction there. And uh, again, go to uh, DerekCope.club or DerekRaceTheory.club uh, and our website and look at all the things we have going on there. And, uh, you know, uh, we're working on the second chapter for the ebook. So hopefully we'll get that uh, in a position to come out soon as well. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.